All right, hello there, and welcome to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm your host, Adam A. Donaldson, and joining me today is... I'm Candace Lepage. Hey, Candace, how are you enjoying your summer, summer in October? <sighs> Can we just not discuss this? <laughs> just, like... 25 I, degrees! I decided to bake today, even though... Like, mm-hmm. no, no, I don't care. I'm baking. Mm-hmm. Anything pumpkin I, spiced? No, it is not. It's banana bread. Oh, well, okay. Though I do have pumpkin pie. I've I've had make pumpkin pie on the brain for, like, months. Have all the ingredients at home. I just haven't actually, like, mm. done it yet for some reason. The pumpkins are pretty big. I saw them at the grocery store the other day. It's, it's a pretty big pumpkin here. Like, literally big. Yes. Yes, I would agree. I'm going to say it's because of all the heat in July and the rain in August. All the all the October weather we got in August, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> August was a great month. I really was quite fond of the weather in August for summer. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, we'll leave that there. End Credits is a local movie show for local movie fans. We're here every Wednesday at 3 p.m. to talk the latest in pop culture and review the newest movies, which this week will be the new supernatural horror, It Lives Inside, which you can now see at a theater near you. That is going to be in the back half of the show. For the first half, we are going to kick off October, although as this goes to air, it's technically October the 4th. Um, But for us, we're going to kick off October um, because it is October. It's Halloween month. Uh, it is Halloween month. There's not just a Halloween day. There's a Halloween month. And we're going to talk about uh, some recommendations from Shudder. If you don't know what Shudder is, it is the uh, exclusively horror movie service, uh, streaming service. So it's all horror movies and horror movie related ephemera. So um, obviously there's a lot to parse on a, on a side like this if you're looking for recommendations and uh given that it's just one specific genre but i think pound for pound and maybe <laughs> candace will agree uh in terms of value uh shutter's probably i mean if you're a, mo- a horror movie fan shutter's probably the best streaming service yeah absolutely i mean i signed up for shutter when it before it became available in canada so you know, you could go to the website and they could tell you, you can't do anything here yet. And I went, great, well, put me on the wait list. Um, <laughs> so I've had Shudder since the the day it was available in Canada. Um, and, you know, there are certainly times that I feel like, oh, I haven't turned on Shudder in ages. What am I doing? And then I, I put it on and then I spend a long time there. In fact, even today when I was sort of going through the, um, I kind of, decided to to narrow my my picks today down to the exclusive and original section of of shutter and i'm just going oh seen that seen that seen that seen that seen that <laughs> like oh wow i really have seen a lot of shutter even though sometimes i feel like i'm not using it as much as the other ones i'm like no 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 it's it's getting its use that's for sure yeah i think it's 5 it's still 5.99 a month yeah i think i i pay um like $50 for the whole year, mm. which is like way undervalued as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. I mean, if you think about the olden days of like video, going to the video store, that would be like the cost of a rental for a couple of days. 
So I, I, I mean, when it comes to streaming services, I always measure that. If I even just watch one thing once a month, I paid for it. Mm-hmm. But I usually inevitably watch two or three things a month. Uh, just, you know, whether it's something I'm revisiting or um, something I haven't seen before. So, I mean, that's what I kind of mean. That's what how I measure value. Um, it's not like I'm on it all day, every day, because I'm... Not me. <laughs> I, well, I was going to say, just, you know, I, I, I have several streaming services I subscribe to, <laughs> and I still have physical media that I'm trying to watch, and um podcasts to listen to so i'm just like constantly inundated with stuff and uh yes yes i am a mass content consumer much like you <laughs> yeah 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 um all right so three recommendations from shutter um I, we kind of had no other restrictions it's all just whatever you can get on shutter and sometimes like stuff on shutter is available other places which is the same for like netflix crave and especially like older stuff um which maybe you can sometimes find on like all, all the free services, whether that's FilmRise and Tubi and uh, Plex and all of those. But this is three things you can find right this very minute on Shutter. So, Candace, start us off. Sure. Um, I am going to start by breaking the rules and making like a twofer. Um, <laughs> I, I think this is sort of a an intriguing sort of uh two movies to watch back to back so if you're interested in or if you like sort of the found footage style Mm -hmm. um but like me find it kind of annoying (laughs) to watch and go okay why are we still like why are you still filming this you know all that sort of stuff where it becomes a little bit hard uh in the narrative to explain why people are still filming Mm um i actually watched two two films on the same day um by accident that both kind of use that first person camera viewpoint mm-hmm. but do it in a way that it really makes sense in the story so um the elevator game which is uh the new rebecca mckendry movie um is about uh this like apparently this is a real game i don't know but this like elevator it's like a you know bloody mary only you take an elevator doing it via certain like you go to one and then 10 and then two or something like this Mm -hmm. you travel up and down the elevator on the fifth floor uh some entity enters the elevator with you and then you get taken to her dimension um and the story is told where it's a a group of people who are like youtubers who make this you know paranormal show so some of it is filmed in this first person style where we're watching them through the camera Mm -hmm. going about things but then we also do get you know narrative like third person narrative style storytelling where we're the audience watching all the all the things on on screen so I thought it was really interesting. I was like, oh, you get to have a bit of both worlds this way. Um, and then the other one that I watched right after it was called The Midnight Swim, which mm-hmm. is like a real moody, sort of slow, kind of like a gothic horror. You don't really know what happens in the end. Is it mental illness? Is it a ghost? That sort of thing. But it's three sisters, and one of the sisters is a documentary filmmaker, and she makes 
she's just recording all of this. The three sisters are going back to their childhood home. Their mom has passed away and it's at uh, like on a lake. Their mom was uh, uh, like a biologist um, who, who did a lot of diving and was really like working to protect the lake. And so the same sort of thing, we get some of the story, much of the story sort of through the, the documentary filmmakers lens as she's going through the movie but then it is actually told you know the other way from the the third person narrative where we just watch all of them going about it and she is also a character in it and it's just like oh this is sort of nice i like that we've moved away like we can still do this sort of first person camera view Mm -hmm. but not make it the whole like way the movie the story is told Mm-hmm. So I just, I really liked, it just was so bizarre that I picked these two movies on the same day <laughs> and both of them had this sort of thing. I was like, oh, this is great. I'm glad we're starting to do this. Also, these two movies are totally different, completely different tones. And you can see how, you know, the genre and format can be like so similar and so different at the same time. Mm-hmm. Also, Rebecca McKendry, um, I've I've talked about her a lot. I'm a big fan. So I was excited to see her her new movie which was fine. It was okay. It was it was no uh glory hole on a you know park bench uh like mm-hmm. like the last Rebecca McKendry movie we covered. Mhm. Well, I mean that's glorious stuck out for a number of reasons. Um <laughs> Go visit our episode about it. That's that's yeah. all I'll say about it. Um <laughs> All right. Uh, I kind of hemmed. Surprisingly, I hemmed to '80s horror because I'm not like I'm completely married to the era. But um, you know, speaking of video stores, I mean that's kind of you know growing up that was kind of always the forbidden area um, outside of the adult section, obviously. But um, for for my first pick, I chose Evil Speak, all one word, Evil Speak. Um, not really sure how that plays into the film because no one says evil speak or, or anything in it, but essentially it is uh, this military academy um, built on a, I guess a where, where some Satanists um, who were excommunicated from the church were left. Uh, I it's not exactly clear where this is. I assuming it's it's you know somewhere in California and the. The, the the Catholic Church was you know missionaries in the in North America at the time but uh on this hallowed ground um it's a military academy in modern days um this t- film touches on all kinds of things obviously Satanism which was uh, very big in the 80s making a comeback now should add uh also like dangers of computers um bullying toxic masculinity it could be remade today pretty easily but you wouldn't get clint howard clint howard is the main character uh he plays stanley cooper smith who's a bright kid but um very uncoordinated uh not very athletic he doesn't fit in with everyone else he's bullied um he's an orphan uh his parents died in a car accident so he's kind of alone he's kind of the harry potter of this military academy um except without the popularity or heroism but um and magic i guess but into this atmosphere he discovers while he's cleaning the basement of the chapel one day he discovers this ancient book 
which belonged to um, Father Esteban, who's uh, we see in flashbacks at, played by Richard Mull, which immediately appeals to me because I'm I'm a huge Night Court fan, um, and he played uh, the Bailiff Bull on Night Court. Uh, obviously, he's a tall guy, so very imposing. Um, but you see him in flashbacks um, playing this satanic uh, priest um, who has managed to uh, leave, I guess, magical satanic powers that allow him to reach into modern day. And as uh, Stanley is uh, translating this book with the aid of uh, Apple II, I think it's pretty <laughs> easy to spot, um, the computer gets infected by uh, Father Esteban's uh, century-spanning Satanism and at the same time has this effect on Stanley as he's trying to... Um, I mean, it begins as an intellectual exercise, but it it eventually gets to the point because this is a reverse... This is a gender-bending carry where he, he, instead of the, the female protagonist, you get the male protagonist. Um, but it's a sl- kind of a slow burn. Um, like Carrie... You know, you like the money's in the last 10, 15 minutes or so when um, revenge finally happens. But you get a lot of great, there's great atmosphere in this. Like the, the fog machine works overtime in the finale um, as Stanley's flying through the air with the uh, satanic sort of omens from, <laughs> from, from Father Esteban beheading people, pigs attacking people and eating them. Uh, it is glorious. Uh, the the reverend of the military academy gets um shot in the head with the nail from the uh jesus the, in the jesus's hand on the 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 crucifix the big crucifix and at the middle at the front of the church um it's it's kind of glorious in in that way blasphemous too obviously but um a lot of great as characters. most good horror movies are <laughs> very true but here's what gets me about this you got a lot of really great character actors in this. R.G. Armstrong um, plays Sarge. Um, and then here's the thing. There's one person at the Academy who is nice to Stanley, and it's the cook, Jake, played by Lenny Montana, Luca Brasi from <laughs> The Godfather. The one decent person to treat this kid nicely is Luca Brasi. And that's why Evil Speaks, or, or Evil Speak is, is a work of of uh, utterly mad genius. <laughs> oh, and one more thing. One of the best transitions you will see uh, going from the beheading of a, a, of a satanic sacrifice to a soccer ball getting kicked across the field. <laughs> Beautiful. Beautiful. This sounds, this sounds incredible. I, I am currently trying to watch 100 new to me horror movies. So um, yeah. I haven't seen evil speak, but, uh, I think it. it's I think it's going on the uh, short list <laughs> for what I might do for the rest of my day. <laughs> yes, go watch it. <laughs> awesome. All right, uh, number two. Okay. Um. So the next one I'm going to suggest is mm-hmm. an animated film oh. that is not something to share with your kids. Um. <laughs> it's called Mad God. Oh yes. Uh. It. It is an amazing just work of animation genius by phil tippett phil tippett is a stop motion animator mm-hmm. and you have seen his work before he has worked on numerous uh 
uh, really popular movies, not the least of which being uh, Star Wars, mm-hmm. New Hope. Uh, he animated the um, the battle chess characters when they're on the Millennium Falcon. Um, mm-hmm. He also did work on Indiana Jones, Howard the Duck, uh, RoboCop, Willow, uh, Jurassic Park. Like this guy's like an animation yeah. hero. Yeah. He's so good. But for all of that time, he had his own sort of movie that he was working on called Mad God. It took him 30 years to finish this film, and it came out a couple of years ago. And it's just the most beautiful stop motion animation you'll ever see. It's so incredible. Um, Obviously, 30 years worth of work. And he had lots of people working with him. It wasn't like he was doing all of stop motion animation one at a time. He had a lot of people working with him, but he funded it all. Mm -hmm. Um, All of that experience and all of that work is obvious on screen. It's so beautiful. Uh, The film is absolutely bizarre. It's called Mad God, which I think is what you'll feel like after you finish watching it or at some point in the middle of it. It is a strange, trippy sort of it's not even a story, but no. there's <laughs> you sort of start by following this character who lands in this sort of wasteland where there are just monsters, just bizarre things all around him. And he's trying to blow the place up. And <laughs> roughly 20 minutes into the film, he gets killed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, oh, uh, thought that was our main character. And then it kind of all starts over again. But we see from a different point of view, presumably who the mad god is, but we never really find out. It's just <laughs> don't go into this movie trying to find a story. Just just watch and there's no um there's no speaking at all. It's it's really just the whole movie is like a vibe and it's so beautiful. I would also recommend that. Uh, you know, if you do want to really go deep into this movie, like watch it once, maybe just as it is, but absolutely watch it as the episode from The Last Drive-In, which is the um, <laughs> uh, Joe Bob Briggs hosted sort of horror movie nights. That was uh, just in the last season, I think, season five. He had Phil Tippett on to to talk about things and, at, and the interview with Phil Tippett is just, it's incredible to hear all of his storytelling about all these other things that he's worked on, but then also to hear him talk about Mad God. And he very much knows what he made Mm. in that he doesn't try to explain what it is either. He's like, I don't, I don't understand the story. I don't know who the Mad God is. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know any of this. It's just this, this thing that kind of came out of him. And it's, it's just, it's so beautiful. Honestly, like every every scene is stunning to look at, even while being really horribly gross in some points, because mm-hmm. these monster creations are just absolutely bizarre. Like the strangest things from your darkest dreams mm-hmm. are on screen and animated in amazing, gorgeous animation that will make you go, that is the most disgusting thing I've ever seen that is so beautiful. <laughs> Mhm. Mhm. Yeah, uh last last year was a really good year for stop motion animation and Mad God is a really great example and it's so kind of uh idiosyncratic cuz it's kind of like one man's vision like lovingly crafted over decades. 
So it's, you know, obviously something like Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio has a certain style to it because it's Guillermo del Toro. But I mean, the, the handcrafted like quality of Mad God is, um, is, is next level. It's, I mean, it is uh, a, a very, very idiosyncratic work. Um, yeah. Speaking of idiosyncratic, um, th- there's a lot of, obviously, there's a lot of classic horror on 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 shutter halloween is on there texas chainsaw massacre um many of the 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 sort of the necessary necessary works of dario Argento um among them but i'm going with Stuart gordon uh for hp lovecraft's reanimator or just reanimator which is uh an overlooked gem of the 80s i think uh, mostly because it, it petered out at two sequels and we don't get up to 10 or 11 or 12 in some cases <laughs> but um we do get uh jeffrey coombs as herbert west almost always pronounced as herbert west um <laughs> uh you don't really call him herbert um but he has this formula that he is based on uh his research with a a colleague in switzerland that reanimates the dead and uh Boy, is that not really doing the plot of this justice? There is gross out. Speaking of decapitations, there is literally a character who gets decapitated and then spends the rest of the movie, um, having been reanimated, lugging around his head um, as he's going about his own um, goals with the uh, reanimation fluid. Um, You get David Gale, who is the American Christopher Lee um he's one of these kind of working actors who doesn't never really got a starring role but he has a great voice and he has great stature he has great presence um (laughs) you get uh you know barbara crompton i think i always say barbara campton but it's barbara crompton as uh the the female lead um you know she has uh her fiance uh, dr kane i can't remember the actor's name off the top of my head i think it's abbott but you know he's a very square jawed uh leading man stuff but make no mistake jeffrey coombs is the leading man here he's twitchy he's abrasive he's cold uh he's all about the science if you can call it science and uh he would typically be the antagonist but he is the unlikely hero of this because he's just just wants to overcome death he just wants to make his mark in the medical field and uh hey you know if you create a few zombie massacres along the way that's what happens uh that's what science calls for and uh to his credit um i mean it's not like the formula doesn't work it reanimates the dead does it do it perfectly no of course not i'm not sure how much because i haven't read the original story i'm not sure how much of an influence hp lovecraft has on this but just in terms of like i guess the idea uh, behind lovecraft that uh human life is meaningless and we're all just sacks of meat waiting to be killed it probably checks that box but i mean reanimator's just good good fun it's think of it as frankenstein meets evil dead and uh it's it's a it's a cool 80 something minutes and uh boy is it a lot of fun a lot of gross out a lot of unnecessary nudity um kind of typical of the 80s but also very atypical as well because uh very few sort of 80s uh horrors well that's not true they, they they do there are a lot of 80s horror movies that don't take themselves too seriously but I, I, this is one of the ones that it really does feel like um there is a, a sort of a 
purposeful campiness in this. Like Stuart Gordon understood the movie he was making the whole time and it shows on screen. Yeah. Yeah. Reanimator is always a good time. And I think what it is is because everybody in it is acting like they are in a classic. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That's right. And and that's what makes it, right? They are they're making a serious classic movie. Yeah. And, <laughs> and everything around them is like so not that. And it works perfectly. Yeah, green goo, lots of blood and guts, uh, lots of unnecessary nudity, but it is Oscar worthy. I don't know. Anyway, uh, <laughs> let's get to <laughs> our third picks here. All right. Uh, this is where it was really difficult for me. I had a list of like five movies and just have to decide which one to go with. And um, I think I'm going to talk about the movie uh, Vicious Fun, mm-hmm. um, which is, uh, I think maybe I've decided. I've decided for two reasons. One, it's actually set in the 80s, so it kind of fits mm. with with your theme. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other is that uh, this is a uh, Black Fawn Productions, right. which uh, you and I both uh, have, uh, you know, no Black Fawn Productions. They are a local um, sort of uh, uh, horror movie uh, production team. We have uh, mutual friends who have come out of out of that uh, company and gone on to other things. That's so. Right. Uh, I did not realize that it was Black Fawn when I when I played it, but of course that's the very first like title screen. I was like, oh well, this should be great. And now I sort of know what what I'm gonna be looking for. And so this came out in 2020, um, and it's uh, directed by Cody Callahan, which makes a difference because Black Fawn has two people who they you know Chad Archibald and Cody Callahan. They each like sort of direct one movie each. They kind of swap back and forth. So. Um, Cody Callahan is the director of this one. It's set in the 80s and it's this kind of hapless um guy who's in love with his female roommate who just thinks of him as a friend and he decides that he's going to uh go check out her new guy that she's been seeing, follows him to a bar, pretends to be someone else. The mm-hmm. guy is a total 80s like <laughs> jerk. Um claims to be a real estate agent very slick you know he's sort of got this whole patrick bateman sort of thing to him mm-hmm. um the uh our, our character what is his name joel our character um ends up getting sort of stiffed by this guy with with his like drink you know his tab so he just stays at the bar for the rest of the night drinks himself into oblivion throws up passes out in a a closet and then comes to and it turns out after hours this particular bar is used by a group of serial killers as their sort of support group Mm -hmm. and so he has to pretend to be a serial killer um he's actually his his real life job uh not as a serial killer which he has to pretend to be is that he is a horror movie reviewer for this (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this like you know horror movie magazine and he also has this idea of a movie that he wants to write about a taxi cab driver who's a serial killer so he pretends to be this character that he's kind of created um as you can imagine uh, things go wrong uh serial killing ensues <laughs> it he happens. finds it happens yeah yeah he finds a a person within this group um, that he can kind of team up with and the two of them take on all all the serial killers. It is very fun. 
Um, I really, really enjoyed it. It's very fun. All of, I mean, there are some great actors in here who've been in a number of things. Um, but all of the acting is at like a, a very high level. And I will say I haven't, um, you know, obviously <laughs> I've known Black Fawn Productions since, you know, they're hiring people who live down the street for me to act in their films. <laughs> so uh, it's really nice to sort of see like, they still have the same, like the style is still there. I still think they really delivered it, but it's, I don't think that anybody else would ever watch this and go, oh, well, you know, it's pretty good for a Canadian movie for yeah. a little like production, indie production company from like Guelph and Cambridge. Good job, mm -hmm. guy. It's mm -hmm. like, that is not like, this is, this is a real movie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and very fun, vicious fun. In fact. Yeah. They're like, you know they're kind of like uh, the Black Fawn gang. They're they're kind of uh, I'm trying to think of a, an equivalent. You know uh, the Paul Schraders of the the Fantasia circuit. <laughs> Every year there's a new Black Fawn joint there um, because it's it's a reliable source of of good indie horror cinema. Um, interesting, you should choose that because um, I went with Canuck exploitation for my last pick. Um, it's uh, Siege, or you may know it as Self-Defense. It was from 1983, based in part on the... There was a, a real-life police strike in Halifax in the late 70s, early 80s, and that served as the inspiration for this. Uh, it is set in Halifax. Police are on strike. There's pandemonium. Um, people are breaking the law and, you know, having a good time doing it uh, as, as police are on strike. It's... Um, pretty much the first act of robocop uh in halifax um and into this you know we, we go to this gay bar this small sort of underground gay bar and uh you know some patrons there just having a quiet drink having a good time listening to some music and in comes this gaggle of well somebody calls them fascists so let's call them fascists a bunch of you know uh hepped up white guys who are there to make trouble uh the h word is thrown around a lot and uh they're calling themselves the new order they are establishing a new order in since the police are on strike and uh they are more than freely uh enjoying throwing around their power um to, you know basically abusing this i mean keep in mind it's the early 80s so um people who uh identified as queer at the time were already a pretty marginalized group um, anyway, things go wrong as they're har harassing these people. Someone gets killed. Um, so they call him this other guy, Cabe, who executes everyone in the bar, save for one guy named Danielle, who uh, takes a run for it. And that leads to a great chase sequence through the streets across rooftops. Like, I mean, this is ultra low budget 1980s Canadian cinema. But boy, did they really take a lot of time and care to film this racing sequence through the streets. And he gets to a building um, where there are people held up for the night. You know, they're they're cloistered together for safety. Um, they let him in, uh, even though these guys are chasing him. But, you know, they give him sanctuary, which leads into this assault on precinct 13 ish scenario where uh, the new order guys um, are, are set up trying to get into the building, trying to kill everyone there, because obviously they're trying to you know kill all the witnesses as it were um and this leads into like a home alone-ish scenario where the residents of the building are you know, like improvising weapons and 
um, <laughs> including an improvised rocket launcher, which is uh, using, I guess, fireworks and a carpet tube and uh, some other stuff. It's it's kind of impressive. I mean, there are times in the film where you can see that uh, they are stretching the budget pound for pound, nickel for nickel. But um, there's really great acting in it. Uh, the bad guys are so greasy that it, it's a lot of fun watching them get it in the end. And uh, again, this is kind of one of those films where it feels like it could have been made today uh, a little bit. You know, uh, white guys with delusions of uh, thuggery and uh, fascism, you know, attacking marginalized groups. Uh, you know, some ambivalence about police. I mean, there's a twist at the end uh, where uh, director Paul Donovan. No, not Paul Donovan. Uh, what's his name? Yep. Yeah, that's Paul, right. Donovan. Paul Donovan. Paul Donovan. <laughs> yeah, Paul Donovan and uh, Maura O'Connell, where it's they're very clearly saying something about the, the the fine line, a thin blue line, if you might say, between <laughs> fascism and order and and anarchy. Uh, but it's a lot of fun. Uh, it, it's a lot. It's it, it's really well made. It's yeah. It's on a budget. It's on a Canadian budget. But boy, does it slap! Uh, and 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 you know, special shout out to Severin. And for people who may not know, Severin is one of these like boutique DVD Blu-ray distributors that has popped up, and it's like saving these cult films, which don't typically make the transition from VHS to DVD to Blu-ray or to streaming. And because uh, the print, you go to Shutter, it's their print, and it is beautiful to look at. It is a w- really beautiful looking transfer of the film you wouldn't well you could probably tell it was probably made in the 80s given some of the some of the costumes um it it looks really crisp it's a really good looking transfer so uh you know kudos to severin for saving films like this and for shutter for putting them on there Mm -hmm. so i watched this movie last year during my 100 horror movies challenge Mm -hmm. um and uh uh, my review of it, I would just like to read my review of it because I think uh, it, it, <laughs> it definitely mirrors a lot of what you said. Okay. Uh, first of all, four stars. Whoa, this movie is great. It's hard <laughs> to believe it was made in the early 80s and is so very, very relevant right now. This is basically the purge Canadian style. And like mm-hmm. good Canadians, instead of choosing to do violence based on class, we choose to do violence based on gender and sexual identity. <laughs> when there are no cops, we don't decide to eat the rich in Canada, but instead show our bigotry. That feels pretty true. Never forget mm-hmm. some of the biggest far-right movements in the of the day have their roots in Canada. Mm-hmm. Definitely watch until the very last second of the film for the best oh, yeah. statement of the entire thing. That is, if you like politics in your horror movies, which I do. Yes, politics, metaphor, culture, uh, yes. clashing. Sounds like a movie we've got a review coming up next. Uh, we're going to talk about It Lives Inside, and that's coming up after the break. You are listening to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio.
monster in here. All the stories, the, the ones we heard growing up, they're, they're, they're true. They're all true. They're such a psycho. No. Please, Sunita. Okie dokie, and that was a clip from It Lives Inside. It is the new film from writer and director Bashal Duda, and it stars Megan Suri, Niru Bajwa, Mohana Krishnan, Vic Sehi, Gage Marsh, and Betty Gabriel. Uh, synopsis, uh, young woman realizes that horror is real and supernatural creatures are real, and uh Surprisingly, you know, here's a surprising part about this, because I've seen a lot of people talk about how it plays into like horror movie tropes, and it does to a certain extent. But this is one of the rare movies where the teen running from horror, um, running from supernatural creatures in danger, goes to authority figures and asks for help. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. That's a very good point. She And, and receives it. She and receives, receives help. help. Yeah. The person who believes her the most is the person you would expect in other movies to to not believe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's you know I was thinking a lot about you know Nightmare on Elm Street and Nancy's dad. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the, <laughs> I guess the Halloween movies too, to a certain extent. It's just you know the the adults are not to be trusted. You are on your own um, because the adults aren't going to believe you, or they're also adults are going to tiss tiss you away, and, and it is. It is a really, it's a really powerful moment when um, Sam, the our main character, um, and this is after like clashing with her mom through the movie about like you won't speak English at home and um, you know, did you come to I guess the United States? It's not really implied where exactly this is in North America. It's shot in Vancouver, but it might as well be anywhere in North America. Or at least anywhere where there's fall, because that's another thing I liked about this movie is that it felt like fall. It's it takes place in fall, and you could feel the chill in the air, um, yeah. unlike today. Um, <laughs> but that she goes to her mom, and she says, "Mom, this is what's going on with me." And the mom receives her, um, tells her it's going to be all right, and then starts coming up with a plan to help her. And that's that's. I mean that's that's a really profound moment in this movie as, as compared to other yeah. horror movies. Yeah, and I I do I mean I really love that because so much of this movie is about um accepting who you are, which mm. is, you know, your mm. your mother's child. Mm -hmm. Um and especially uh so what I've noticed because I've watched I feel like I've been watching a lot of immigrant stories lately um and particularly um, sort of Indian, uh, you know, Bangladesh, Pakistan, like that that area. A lot of immigrant stories, and <laughs> the tension between daughter and mom mm. is a constant thread in all of these stories. Like we watched Polite Society, mm. and you know, it's Good always 
you know, the mom is trying to to make sure that the kids keep their culture more, you know, necessarily than the dad does. And the mom's always the one who uh, gets judged so harshly by, mm-hmm. you know, their group, of, you know, peers by what their daughters do. And so, um, yeah, I think that is a really beautiful moment that her mom believes her. And it's so necessary because this movie is about, you know, sort of finding a way through that relationship, through Mm -hmm. that, like, that experience of, you know, land, like, first generation or, or, you know, landed, like, immigrants who Mm -hmm. are westernized Mm -hmm. being raised by parents who are still living the culture from back home and yeah that line that she gives her mom like why did you even come here if you're Mm -hmm. just going to be another desi housewife Mm -hmm. who cooks and cleans and it's like i'm sure every single like i i was in a theater all by myself which was amazing (laughs) and so i was shocked by that line but i could imagine if i was in a theater full of of like you know children of immigrants they would have all just been like holy Mm. did Mm. she really just say that because we all want to say that (laughs) Mm -hmm. but nobody ever does because that that is sort of the the question all the time right for for immigrants like their kids are offered all these opportunities and get to live this expansive new life and be able to do so much more but also then move so far away from Mm -hmm the culture and the lives of their parents. And it's, I can only imagine how hard that is as a parent to watch that and to find within the, like yourself, like how do I accept that they have all these opportunities now, but are kind of walking away from me. It seems Mm. so much harder than just, you know, my parents, when I moved out of the house and I, you know, became my (laughs) own person, (laughs) they were just like, okay, I guess this is just what happens. (laughs) Yeah, and I think that what the film does is show like what a kind of a delicate line that is from both the parents' point of view and from the teens' point of view because there's a there's a scene where Sam is sitting there with her friend Kitty, who is um, you know American white, um, and she's you know Kitty says to her, "Hey, like say something in Hindi and like or say my you know Kitty's my best friend in Hindi or something like that." And you can see this look on. Sam's face like I don't want to be reminded that I'm different from everyone yeah. else even While though her friend brings out her phone to like live stream it or like yeah it's gross it, <laughs> it's gross but you know you want also kind of get that there's Kitty thinks she's not doing anything wrong I know I know it's so <laughs> that's the thing like I actually have this note like all of her classmates and her friends, like including the the boy that she kind of has a crush on, mm. I think are are they're good people. They're not mm-hmm. they're not racist. They're not horrible. They're not like mean and trying to ostracize her. Mm-hmm. But they just don't understand the ways in which they are doing that, right? Because they just don't know, which mm-hmm. is kind of bizarre to me in some ways because. When we, um, you know, the the film sort of opens as we meet Samita um, 
with her parents and they find out like they're they're doing this holiday and all of these people are at their house and like clearly there is there's a, a community a community yeah. of of you know hindu people who mm. like where do their kids go to school like yeah. i mean i guess i don't know like 5 10 15 out of maybe a class of a thousand is probably it's still a minority but it's just like <laughs> Yeah. Is this the first person they've ever seen from another? Like, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's there's some logical inconsistency there, but I think that's probably the director, who's also the writer, probably working through some things. Yeah, mm. and probably it feels like that too, right? It, I, I yeah. suppose to any, even if there's you know, twenty five or thirty percent of the classroom is is a you know visible minority, they still feel. I, think I mean, that's the whole point of it. The story is that it's about feeling ostracized and the demon is about, you know, trying to make sure that you have no one around you who yeah. cares about you anymore. Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting angle, too, is that, the you know, the, the, the creature is about isolation. And when the mom is sort of explaining um, the, the origin of it, um, that, you know, when you go to sleep and you're having dark thoughts whether that's feelings of alienation or anger or hatred or whatever um the 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 realm from which this creature comes from it's able to reach up from there and sort of grab onto you and start you know taking your strength in order to strengthen it and come into our world where it's it's, it's an even bigger threat i i get the impression that maybe sam and tamira are maybe the only two girls of uh of indian origin in their class yeah um, well because the other student and i don't remember his name who had um right pr presumably killed himself the year before right. which is actually the um the sort of Kur cold open of this film Quran is, is his name yeah yeah what happened to to him and his family um and then the the jar the mason jar which features so prominently of course in the in the trailer mm-hmm but doesn't last very long in the film. <laughs> I did see a note somebody said online, you know, why are you using a mason jar? Why don't you use like a steel thermos? <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, someone made a, a on um, letterbox. I think there was a, someone who said, if I had put that in my Yeti. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it would last forever. It'd be fine. It's pretty durable. Um, yeah. No, it's, I, I got that impression that, um, that, that they're, you know, Sam and Tamir also kind of represent kind of pools that even before Tamir stumbles upon this creature that has infected her, um, which then transfers to Sam, that they were kind of on different trajectories. And which is, mm -hmm. of course, some, something that happens to a lot of friends when they get to high school where you just sort of like join, you just sort of float away to different cliques and you sort of lose that that common uh, that common thread that you had you know when you were younger um but i think there is a certain isolationist bent um that well whether that's intentional on the part of tamira or whether that's sort of like uh alienation because she won't try and uh integrate in the way that that sam will i think there's sort of an, an imp something implied there as well that tamira was always kind of an outsider which also made her uniquely susceptible to the the creature yeah well and i think it's um definitely 
noticeable that her mm. parents are not in this film at all like this yeah we see her mom when she goes missing but that's it yeah like this poor girl goes missing for most of the film and like we don't we don't see her parents <laughs> you know um sam doesn't go visit her parents her parents don't come visit them anything mm. like that so mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. but i mean it speaks to that you know it's it's tricky for for immigrant families to and i'm not i'm obviously not speaking from experience but you know from from what i understand it's tricky to find you know how much you integrate yourself into the community how much you hold on to the community you came from with people with that similar experience and i think that's something the film portrays pretty well and and helps you to understand not Mm -hmm. being not being an immigrant myself yeah and i i think one of the things i've i've sort of seen people saying the most about this film is that they felt like it was um pretty basic and kind of stereotypical Mm. um which i think is not untrue that doesn't make it not good either but i do sort of feel like and this film's pg-13 it's obviously trying to reach um younger younger horror movie viewers Mm -hmm. um you know who want to go to the movies and watch these these films it's trying to reach people who are more sort of in the age of the actual characters and sort of high school and i think you know what's different about this is that it's not you know i think about jordan peele's films Mm -hmm. which have heavy social commentary Mm -hmm. but i think he is making horror films about black people for black people mm-hmm. whereas this film i think is it it is for people you know who are from a south asian background but i think mm-hmm. more than that it's sort of a for everybody to help them understand a little bit more mm. so i feel like you know it's not as complex or complicated because it is supposed to be just sort of a you know here's a way for other people to kind of see Mm. a little bit what what my life was like when i was in school and how things you know well i think i think you know even if you're not black you are there there is a lot of influence from black culture on the main culture here so there is a lot i mean you're for obvious reasons you're never going to get every joke in a tyler perry movie if you're white but you can you can still laugh at a Tyler Perry movie. Yeah. Um you're not you know as a white person I'm not the audience for that movie, but I can still find parts of it funny. Sure there are parts of it that go over my head because I'm not part of that culture, but um I I think because there's there's just that a lot of that crossover um between black culture and and the the mainstream culture. I that's obviously not there with Indian culture. Um or the the roots of Indian culture is what you're getting at, which does you know remind me I don't know how much of the the character design of the the pishash i think mm-hmm. it's called um i don't know how much of it was practical either it seemed very practical yeah well there is actually an actor um uh who played okay. the the pishash so i believe that there was something sort of on on set um okay. and i kind of feel like the head design primarily yeah. felt really practical like they probably kind of had yeah maybe a suit with a, the head design um though actually even when you saw it kind of from the back hunched over with those spines too <laughs> like i feel like a lot of it was practical i did really love when we got um you know kind of a a full demon reveal because a lot of this <laughs> yeah. it's it's um 
It's eyes in the dark. Or we see eyes in the dark. Yeah. But (laughs) at one point we do kind of see this full reveal and we kind of pan up from the torso. And I think a lot of that was CGI because you could sort of see the torso was like moving and there seemed to be like Mm. screaming faces but that also looked kind of like the ends of bones sort of thing. Like it it wasn't like uh, the screaming faces in Freddy's <laughs> stomach, <laughs> which doing dream child, which is horrible. Um, but it's sort of like you couldn't really figure out on the torso, like what was going on, because it just kind of seemed to be subtly moving the whole time. I really liked that. Mm. But I do like the fact that, yeah, you know, so much of it was was practical there was someone on set Mm. and and you know it wasn't huge it was just kind of you know Mm man-sized but also kind of gross i think they did a nice job with the demon i really liked it yeah it's 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 good um i like that practical stuff and you know they get a couple of good jump scares out of the eyes in the dark i was kind of impressed by that Mm -hmm. and Um, yeah. Samita's English teacher, I think, is the one who has sort of the best. Oh yeah, sort of yeah, yeah. Scary, like a, a couple. She's got a couple of really good sort of scary interactions with the demon. Yeah. Um, the one especially, uh, which I I loved because um, a lot of this film sort of starts with people sort of thinking that these these kids have. A mental illness or depression or something which is mm. how it sort of looks at first and so mm-hmm. um sam is is talking to her english teacher about like what happened and how how scared she is and what's going on and then behind her behind the english teacher the it's... demon like shows up and sam screams and i'll like props to <laughs> megan suri her screams are very good she's good yeah <laughs> and her scream was just so good even like the the teacher, obviously, it was sort of one of those moments where it's like, oh, this is great because she's done such a great job. And it's actually in the story that mm-hmm. her scream has been so frightening that the teacher actually turns around. Yeah. And we get this long, slow sort of thing of her trying to reach out to see if there's actually something behind her. It's really great. Yeah. They, they, he, um, the, uh, Bishal, uh, Dutta, Dutta, I'm not sure. Mm. Um, he does a, a great job of making just pacing some of these. So there's not yeah. really like jump scares. There's sort of these long, slow, creeping, dread kind of scares. And I just want to highlight too before we wrap up. Um, this place, this movie takes place in modern day, and a lot of horror movies lately have gone back to like the 80s and the 70s to like evade the modern technology, like cell phones. Um, but that sequence you're talking about, where the where the demons. Te- chasing the teacher it makes great use of like the motion activated lights mm-hmm. yes yes <laughs> Which... i know i will never see those the same again i'm like oh man <laughs> yeah so you can use the modern technology to create a, mo- uh, a, a perfectly creepy story but that's yeah. for another time that's the end of this week's show so we hope you liked it if you want to listen to it again you can download it every friday at our website and creditsradioshow.com you can get it at the guelph politicast channel on podbean or through your favorite podcast app like Apple, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. Speaking of Spotify, you can find the playlist for much of the music that you hear on this show. Just open up Spotify and search for end credits on CFRU. 
You can stay connected to us on social media. We're on Facebook at End Credits Radio Show, and we're on Twitter at End Credits Radio. I will be back here on CFRU Thursday at 5 p.m. for News and Politics on Open Sources Guelph with Scotty Hertz. And in the meantime, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson. You can also see my News and Politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. And Candice, where can people find you on the internet? Um, you can find me almost all places except Twitter um, mm. at sin48, C-I-N-N-4-8. You can still find me there. You just won't hear from me. Um, I would say follow me on Letterboxd and watch my uh, 100, more, 100 movies in uh, 92 days challenge. I'm at 52 movies right now and have about a month to go. So we'll see. You can, you can cheer me on. Um... I could say more about Twitter. I'm about ready to abandon Shift after Truth and Reconciliation Day, but that's another story. Um, stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. This show will be back next Wednesday at 3 p.m. for another edition of End Credits, and we will see you then. <laughs>